the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Just get a quick review. We have seen that our Lord God in the Old Testament, he has rejected Saul from being a king because Saul committed many sins and rejected the voice of God, rejected spiritual guidance, violated priesthood, disobeyed the commandments of God, and he has never really offered real repentance. All what he cared about is how he looks in front of people. And that was his real motivation for repentance. And sometimes our motivation for repentance might not be as pure. Some people repent because they don't want to feel guilty. And that's their main motive. And others repent because they truly love God. And they want to live like him and to be his children. So obviously all repentance, God accept our repentance even if it's not fully intentioned but at least to, in order for us to understand the best intention and then last uh, last week we saw that God told Samuel I have rejected Saul do not pray for him anymore no longer pray for him he's done I am going to show you a king according to my heart and I think it would be nice Keda, if somebody has time, draw the parallel between the life of David and the life of Christ. We saw last time when Samuel wanted a city to pick David, we saw that David was actually considered to be insignificant. Samuel the prophet is coming to Jesse's house. Instead of Jesse inviting David along with his children, he puts him away, taking care of the sheep, he didn't even care to invite him. He didn't think he was significant. Significant enough to serve God. And God told Samuel, this is the one I want to serve me. It's almost like our Lord Kedah being born in a manger. When David is being introduced, he's being introduced as somebody who's unknown, insignificant, rejected by his own people. Okay? Now we see in verse, we saw last time in verse, in verse 12 that God told him this is the one. In verse 13, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So David was anointed king over Israel. And obviously when uh, Samuel anointed him, I'm not sure if people understood what is Samuel doing. I'm not sure what is Samuel doing. So maybe, but David himself knew. But maybe his brothers did not know. Maybe his father did not know. But David himself knew. And David actually was anointed three times. The first time in Samuel 16, 13, here at Bethlehem. A second time, he was anointed by the men of Judah, a king over Judah, in 2 Samuel, and then the third time, a king over Israel. Why is this important? God called him to become a king and told him, my purpose for you is to be a king. And then what? Nothing. I'm going back to look after my sheep. A lot of times in our life, God shows us 
where he wants to take us. But there is a process that God is trying to create inside our heart. God appears to St. Paul. Yalla, come and serve. Come and follow me. And then what? We stay in the desert for seven years. Sometimes we're very uncomfortable with waiting. But waiting builds a special intimacy with God. Why? Because when I live a life that is so busy, I need to have so much intimacy with God that I can go back to Him all the time. I can withdraw back to Him easily. God is not waiting for me to serve. He's waiting to have that intimacy so when He puts me in a place of service, I can speak to Him as soon as I, as much as I can. Obviously, here, the Spirit of the Lord came on David from on this moment forward. This is unique in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Spirit does not reside over somebody. This makes us understand how we are so privileged in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, people who get anointed, kings, priests, prophets. In the New Testament, we all get anointed. That's why the letters were all priests, were all offering sacrifice to God. It's also important to see in the book of First Samuel especially, I don't know if it was intentional, but you can see it. He does always comparison as the life of Eli was going down, the life of Samuel was going up. As the life of David the prophet is going up, the life of Saul the king is going in is going down. There's always God is showing us a comparison between two people. Both were chosen. Both were called. One fulfilled his purpose and one wasn't. Both were equipped. David and Saul were anointed with the holy oil. Eli and Samuel were anointed as priests. Everybody begins very few end. Everybody begins with God. Very few are faithful till the end. Very few are faithful till the end. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. When it says an evil spirit from the Lord, it means God allowed an evil spirit to dwell in him. You see, Saul went from prophesizing with the prophets to a person who is living with a lot of distress, a lot of unsettling feelings, lack of peace, constant anxiety. He was, he went from a person who had an, a peace inside of him to, to being distressed all the time. How much did the kingdom help him? And Saul's servant said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. This expression is significant. Saul must have been acting crazy. 
يعني imagine the servants بتوعك كده the servants talking to the king they're telling him it looks like something above from above came upon you يعني what you're doing is out of control Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in, in a, a skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from the Lord is, from God is upon you and you shall be well. So Saul said to the servants, provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Obviously when the evil spirit was upon him he had a lot of moments of instability. The servants of Saul never recommended for him to pray. Never recommended for him to go to Samuel, the man of God, to pray for you. It looks like they have known that Saul no longer wants any spiritual connection. You know, when somebody is so, so far away from the church and you, you don't want to give them like a spiritual message that they might feel heavy, you kind of ease them into it. So how about some music? Now let's play some music. That's kind of what the servants saying. But they found, uh, they found, the, so the, the soul told them, okay, find me somebody that can play music to calm me. And it was very common actually in the ancient days that music calms people, makes them, makes the music is good for the sad, good to the sad. That was a very common time in this, in this. And by the way, until now today, people who cast out demons, they use the songs. I have not, at least personally, from the couple of instances I've seen, people always use, the priests I've seen always use songs. From the time of Saul until today, people use songs. And David the prophet would sing the songs. I was actually talking together to uh, a scholarly uh, monk uh, this past few weeks. So he was telling me, Abuna, when Jesus used to pray overnight, What did he used to pray? Probably the Psalms. Yes. But if he prayed all the Psalms, it probably take him three, two hours, three hours. And then what he's, what he's doing the rest? So our personal prayer. Yes. But most likely, Jesus used to sing the Psalms. And when he sang the Psalms and played them, because uh, the Psalms... Obviously, as you guys know, the Psalms are written in Hebrew. When they're written in Hebrew, they are poetic. In English and in, in, in all these languages, we lose the poetry. Actually, I remember one time I was visiting the Wailing Wall in Israel, and they had like a, a looks like a rabbi with a little flute, and he was singing the Psalms. It sounded pretty beautiful in Hebrew. So there is, there is an element of singing the psalm singing the prayer to God because the music touches the soul with the words of God uh, remember when God said he said hey, love the Lord your God from all your hearts all your soul all your mind all your strength and one of the father was saying if any prayer is missing one of those four it is it's an unstable prayer But when we sing the psalms, when we sing Tazbah, when we sing the liturgy, the soul, the mind, the energy are all involved. 
prayer. Most likely, David the prophet was singing the Psalms. Then one of the servants said, look, I have seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent speech, and handsome person, and the Lord is with him. One of the officers of Saul told him, uh, told him, look, there's this little kid. Obviously, he's describing him as a powerful man, man of war. All these things, by the way, refer to the family of David. Not David himself. David at this point was a shepherd. Knows nothing about war, all, all this stuff. And we saw this before when they were talking about Saul. Whatever attribute, attributes of the family, they attributed to the person. This is, this is the, the style of the, of the old, old, old times. So he's from a family that has, you know, a lot of, I will see later, Nick Schepter is his brothers are in the army. They're all warriors, they're all fighting and all, and all these things. And he's telling him, I remember this kid. This, this, this guy, look, look at, he, he tells him, he, prudent in speech. This expression was used to describe very few people in the scripture. Jacob, Joseph, Daniel, Abigail. People who were able to speak in wisdom of God. And it turns out that the distressing spirit that came from God on Saul is by divine intention. So David can move closer to Saul. There's a divine plan even when God allows evil to work. Saul, and God forbid, is like Pharaoh. He completely rejected God. No longer God is working in him. But God will still use him to fulfill his plan. So all the qualities that the officer of Saul described about David is summarized in that last word. The Lord is with him. You know, sometimes you meet people and they're very intelligent. They're very good looking. They're very good speakers. They're very sweet talkers. But sometimes you meet somebody and you're like, God is with this guy. His full, big grace, there's grace inside of him. I can see it. And it's, it's, it's fascinating because the staff of Saul remembered David the shepherd in Bethlehem. Bethlehem D, and if you ever go to Jerusalem, Bethlehem D is like one block, two blocks. It's like a street. It's nothing. Yani the, the land of our St. Mary is Bethlehem. Literally. Something so small. He remembers a little child who met in Bethlehem and he said, the Lord is with him. Wow. Wow. There are some people you meet in your life and you hear words from them and it lasts with you for years. I was, uh, I was, telling, uh, I was telling the youth a story that I'll tell you briefly. One of the monks I met, he was in his 90s, he told me, Abuna, when I was young, I used to attend the youth group in Giza. 
in Egypt. And every week, the servants will come give us a talk, and after the end of the talk, they'll ask a question. Does anybody have any comments? Anybody has any questions? Anybody has anything? And he would say, and everybody says no, and then we pray and leave. It only became a formality, something we do all the time. He says one time, he said, anybody has comments? So a guy said, yes, I have a comment. So the head servant, Allah, go ahead. I guess the guy, the, when the head servant told him, go ahead, he thought he's going to talk from where he is. He says, this guy leaves his place and comes to the pulpit. And he says two words. It's not by a lot of talking. Jesus is sweet. Yeshua hell. It's not by a lot of talking. Jesus is sweet. And this monk told me, I still remember this. He's now over 90, 70 years ago. Ali, this guy used to sell thermos at the, at the, at the, at the stri in the streets. A street vendor. He said one word that remained in the life of this monk for 70 years. Read many books, seen many saints. When something comes from the heart, when the grace works, you can see it. Then Saul sent the messenger to Jesse and said, send me your son David who is with the sheep. You see, I told you he's not, uh, he's not a soldier. This is a description of the family. David was known to be with the sheep. And God, our Lord, was known to be the shepherd. And uh, actually, somebody texted me uh, like a couple of weeks ago, Buna, why do we call the saints by weird names? St. John the Short, St. Moses the Black, St. Didymus the Blind. Ali, why does it matter? Blind, short, black, white, tall. Why does it matter? I honestly never thought about this question before in my life until he asked me. Because when you think about it, God always wants us to remember our weaknesses. When we remember Jesus, St. Paul said, all what I preach is Jesus, what? Crucified. When I look at Jesus on the cross, I can see how much he loves me. His suffering, his piercing, his blood, wow. It pours into my heart. I can speak with confidence to God because my beloved Jesus is interceding on my behalf. So David was described to be with the sheep. One of the, one of the monks used to do something beautiful. He used to keep a picture of himself when he was five years old. I thought in his pocketbook. And whenever things hit hard, he will get out the picture and tell God, God, I am this kid. Don't forget. I am this child. I have not changed much. I am the five years. I am with the sheep. I am a person who has been forgotten because of my schools, my studies, my work, my life. My weakness, O oh Lord, 
becomes a witness to your strength in me. My weakness praise you. Go get me David who works with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey, loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them by his, by his son David. This was obviously his son is going to meet the king. He's not going to go empty-handed. You know, he's going to get some bread and wine and food and, and all this stuff. And sometimes, honestly, like when I, when I read this verse, I was thinking a lot of times we tend to give those who have a lot and not give those who have nothing. When you go meet somebody who's rich or somebody who's authority, uh, a clergy, a bishop, a pope, or, or somebody, you have to, and those who need who might actually neglect them. So David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his own bearer. Obviously, Saul, as a king, has many people who carry his, his armor, but when he gives somebody the title, the arm bearer means he trusts him. David was trustworthy to Saul. David was trustworthy. And when Saul saw him, he says, you know what? I could trust this kid. He looked at a pure. He looked innocent. As we go, as we read the next few, uh, few chapters, I want you to read them with the mindset that David knows God ordained him a king. And you will be amazed how he's acting. Then Saul said to Jesse, then Saul sent to Jesse saying, please let David stand before me for he has found favor in my sight. So David was supposed to go on time, play, interview, Saul liked him. He told him, hey, keep him. And now he's calling him David without a David, the sheep, the, the shepherd. And when he was angry with him later, he used to call him the son of Jesse. And when he called him David, this is the, the name that shows Saul is happy with David. You know, when you're angry with somebody, sometimes you call them a formal name because you just kind of, you take away the, the love and title. This is what, what Saul is dead. Now he's calling him David because he loves him. And it was whenever the spirit from God was upon Saul that David would take the harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul became refreshed and well and the distressing spirit would depart from him. When David gets crazy, or when Saul gets crazy, David would, would pray the Psalms until he calms down. Until he comes down. Just like God allowed a spirit to go into Saul, God also allowed what allowed David the prophet to be able to defeat the evil spirit. So he shows us that the evil spirit has what? Has no control over us. That's what's happening. And God still can work and try to change us to, to, to overcome evil. And we will see here that David later on even as a king focusing on music and prayer became one of his main tasks we see in second samuel first chronicles david set a full choir for prayer and worship and i'll tell you guys to be honest with you focus on worship is the center of the church 
focus on worship should be the center of our homes and our services. If we want to bring people close to God, we focus on how to worship. Worship with our minds. Worship with our hearts. This is what David consumed him. That's maybe one of the main reasons that David was a man after God's own heart. Because he cared a lot about the worship. And uh, he cared a lot about the worship and how everybody in the congregation should worship. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle, were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. They camped between Soko and Azok in Ephsdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up the battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on, on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side and the valley between them. A lot of these cities that they were mentioned, yani, I don't want to spend a lot of time on them, but, uh, but for example, Soko is about 14 miles west of Bethlehem toward the territory of Palestine. Uh, uh, Ezekiah is located about two to three miles of Soko. And then the valley of, of Eli, you'll find it in, in Joshua. And then uh, the F's Damin is about 1.5 miles from so Soko. So they're all right next to each other. They're all west of Jerusalem. Now what's happening is the Philistines are standing on one side, the Israelites are standing on one side, and there's a valley in the middle. That's basically how usually the wars are set up in the old days. Two armies are standing fight each other, and there is a valley in the middle. Obviously, we're very interested in the spiritual meaning of these wars. And one of the things we have seen already multiple times that whenever Israel beats uh, the Philistines, we think the war is over, but it's never over. Whenever we gain a battle or we win or defeat the devil once, it's never over until we go to heaven. So the Philistines come every day with a different war, sometime with fear, sometime with humiliation, sometime with temptation, all different types comes. So obviously here we see that Saul is no longer accepted before God. So all his decisions from, from now on will be based on his human ability. But God is going to bring him somebody to remind all Israel that the victory that you will have is not according to you but according to God. Remember guys I just want to review something with this. When Saul became a king he did not have an army. So he had multiple victories over the Philistines. Last war he had was against the Amaleks. And at that time, he actually had a strong army. So physically, he's able to beat them, to defeat them. It's not, not no, there's no miracle there. So now, we're going to a stand where we have the Philistines and Israel. They're going to war. And they're very close. Now, Saul has been a king for some time. So he built a strong army. So now... It's all based on human ability. Human ability. So there is, there is, each side is standing. And what's happening? Look at this, verse 4. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath, from Goth, whose height was six cubits and a span. A champion means someone who steps out to fight between the two battle lines. So I was telling you there's, there's one 
two groups are standing in front of each other. So a champion will go, go down to the valley and be like, you know, show me what you got. That's basically what he's doing. Okay? How tall is this guy? This guy is nine feet, nine inches. Nine feet, nine, nine inches. So we need to build two doors from this door in order for this guy to walk in. Huge, humongous. There are two people on top of each other. So when you look at him, he's very scary. He's intimidating. He's so tall. He's like, and some people said he likely had a, the, the dysfunction of his pituitary gland, and that's what made him giant. I, and this is something from a medical expert, but people saying the possibility of somebody being that tall is, is, is not, uh, is not uh, un, unheard of. Now, he had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and weight of coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. So basically, this guy had a helmet of bronze, he had a shield of bronze, and it was weighting 5,000 shekels of bronze. Basically, what he was wearing was 126 pounds. Just the bronze he's wearing on his body is 126 pounds. That's just, you know, to, f to fight. This is like his clothes, his shirt and his pants is 126, uh, 106 pounds. Something huge. And he had a bronze armor on his legs and bronze javelin between his shoulders. Basically, he had a spear between his shoulders and armor on his legs. Now, the staff of his spear was like the waver's beam, very sharp. And his iron spearhead weighted 600 shekels and the shield bearer went before him. All this, and he has also a shield bearer before him. And he's not only going alone, somebody else in front of him going to fight. Obviously, anybody who sees this guy fully armed, fully protected, it's almost impossible to attack him. It's a very complicated, scary situation. It needs a, all the experts and all the people come and sit and all the legal teams. How can we face a, a disaster like this guy? All of us might be faced with sources of fear in our life. All of us might be faced, especially where is he fighting? He's fighting in the valley. And if you decide to fight him, Nobody's going to save you. It's only you and him. He won this. Then he stood, he stood, and he cried out to the army of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you, and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man of yourself. Let him come down to me. Not only he was in, in introducing fear into their heart, but he's also introducing humiliation to their life. He speaks with great confidence. And sometimes people want to speak with confidence, they scare us. Because we don't, sometimes we're not strong enough in our faith that we're not confident of what we believe in. And he's telling them, He's given them false identity. He said, you're slaves of soul. You're servants of soul. Sometime, 
we get, the devil tries to give us the wrong identity. Aren't you workaholic? Aren't you just only a student? Aren't you only this? Aren't you only that? Why? So you can take away all the real support system in your life. And make you feel like all your life is hinged on an exam or an interview or a meeting or a, or a decision. Or if he's able to fight with me, this is Goliath's thing. If, you're a, if, if any of you guys are able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Obviously, Goliath is a liar. He's, he's, a, he's a warrior, he's strong, but we will see even after David defeats him, they, he, they don't keep that promise. The Philistines do not become servants of Israel. His words are not trustworthy. He's here just simply to scare the people away. He's telling them you have two choices between continue to live in fear every day and hear me abuse you or slavery and none of the people of Israel prayed none of the people of Israel ran after God I tell you guys something unfortunately many times when I sit on family problems one of the questions I ask him do you pray we should pray. That's their answer. But pray. Pray and see. They've come attend communion once a week. They think coming to Abuna as if Abuna will do the magic. No. God is the one who changes the, the families and the hearts. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Every day. You know when you have a problem, you have an exam, you have a decision, whatever it is, and every second the thought in your head, every moment, I'm going to fail. I'm going to lose. I'm going to this. I'm going to that. I'm going to that. Pray. Why are you defeated? Lift up your heart and tell God. He is, he is our Father. Why do I walk defeated? Lost. Unrecognizable as a child of God. When Saul and all Israel heard all these words of Palestine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Khibar. Heard all these words. Dismayed and greatly afraid. Have a it. The into few few chapters, God performed amazing miracles with him. Not a long time ago. People talk to each other. Did you see Goliath? Did you hear Goliath? Goliath is scary. Goliath is really bad. Yeah, I don't know what to do. I can imagine conversations between the soldiers and the army, just bringing each other down. There's nobody who is able or courageous enough to say. Not say, let's go fight. Say, let's pray. Let's depend on God. Look, in the midst of all this scene, in the midst of this sadness, darkness, defeat, failure, who's going to come 
David the prophet. Now David was the son of the Ephrite of Bethlehem, Judah. David represents Jesus. In the midst of our defeat, in the midst of our failure, this little child comes from Bethlehem, from Judah, whose name was Jesse, and who had eight sons, and the man was old, advancing years in the days of Saul. As if almost the scripture is reintroducing David again. As if he's announcing the, the birth of God into uh, the, the birth of a savior into our life today David was mentioned earlier as being chosen but today he's finally into the battle that's going to save the people of Israel the three oldest son of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to battle the names of the three sons who went to battle were Elihab the firstborn the next, Abinad, uh, next to him Abinadab and the third is Shema. This is the three that we saw last time. And we said, remember last time I told you, the first three, seven, is the perfect number of children. Three represents the full number of the, ch the full names of the children. And you only need to mention the first three. You mentioned everybody. Obviously, Jesse was worried about his children. The top three are at war. So David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul, but David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. You see here that David, even though he started getting a bit of a promotion, he started going to serve the king. And imagine with me, and this is my own imagination, but Saul is a king. Most likely when David goes to the king, people drinking, dancers, he's going to find certain things, certain lifestyle. He doesn't come back to his dad and be like, Dad, look, all my friends have uh, Tesla now. I want to upgrade to Tesla. Now I go see the king and all the fancy stuff. Why do you want me, why do you want me to, to look after the sheep? This is in the old days. Now, now, I'm, now you don't understand. You don't, un you don't know what I know. David comes back and looks after the sheep. There is a secret. Secret between him and God. Imagine between the king and the sheep. King and sheep. And he is content. He's happy. He's not trying to look, oh, you know, let me please those people. Let me try to look cool with these people, with the king. And no, no, no. His secret intimacy inside, it doesn't matter where he is. It does not matter where he is. I was just telling uh, some of you guys a story, but I, I, met, I met one of the monks who, who lived in isolation for 10 years. And I asked him, I told him, were you ever bored? 10 years is a long time. How did you manage living in isolation for 10 years? He told me, Abuna, Contrary to my thinking, I spent a lot of time praying about living in isolation. But only once I entered the cell, only God gave me fountains of prayers. To the point that sometimes I had to stop myself to be able to, to sleep. And sometimes I used to lose my voice 
And I lived in the desert, there was no distraction. I was not trying to please anybody. I was not waiting for anybody. I needed nothing except to spend time with God. Rivers are flowing from him. And David the prophet, we will see later, that he had secrets with God when he was a shepherd. And the Philistines drew near and presented himself for how many days? Forty days, morning and evening. Remember the number 40? We talked about it before. Represents the full season of life. Four are the four different seasons. And ten is a completion of number. So a complete four times ten is a completion of life. The devil, the Philistines, will continue to threaten us all the days of our life, morning and evening. He does not take a break. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this gr uh, dried grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers at the camp. What does that remind of? reminds us of? Joseph. You guys remember the story of Joseph. His father sent him to look after his brother. He took together with him some grains, some food, very simple food together with loaves to go visit his brothers. And carry these thin cheeses to the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news for them. So basically he's taking simple food for his, for his brother, but he almost has to take a bribe to the captain of their thousand. I remember last time I told you the, cap, the, the unit th the thousand does not mean a thousand people necessarily. It's a unit of an, of an army. Okay, so that unit, you call them a unit of a thousand. It could have a hundred, it could have a thousand. That's it's a unit, it's a name. So a unit of a thousand, this is where the, the captain is. He told him, go take him some cheese, get us to bribe him, so you'll be able to sneak in food to your brothers. That's basically what, what happened. Now Saul and, and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for battle. Look, one of the things that we will see in this story is David the prophet as a person who is extremely faithful. His father told him, go to your brothers. It's not tomorrow. It's not in the afternoon. Woke up very early. Woke up very early in a very ordinary day in his life. Not expecting to become a hero. Not expecting to save anybody. Not, did not have any intention to defeat Goliath. He didn't even know Goliath existed. He's simply going to do what his father asked him to do. A lot of the most extraordinary things we do in our life, they are not planned. But God uses those who are prepared. God uses those who are prepared. David took his little responsibility seriously. Sure, cheap food, 
small things. And God took him from these little things and made him the man after his own heart. So in our life, we have to be careful from that. We have to be careful from that. If I am not content where I am, I will be unstable emotionally. And I'll be constantly trying to achieve something in my life that has meaning, but I'm not motivated by principles. I'm just trying to look for something bigger, higher, to, to seem influential, but it will never be because I'm seeking how to be influential, not I believe in something and in that God uses me. You see the difference? The difference is people, some people want to be influential. So they want to find anything to make them, to make them effect. But others, people believe and live with God. And in that way, God makes them influential. Most people who affected humanity, affected Christianity, did not have the intention, oh, I want to be St. Paul the Great. No. He's writing normal letters. He's preaching. Uh, the ship breaks. Life is miserable sometimes. Sometimes he finds food. Sometimes he doesn't find food. All what he cares about, I want to bring people close to God. He didn't wake up one day and says, I want to be the greatest apostle. No. Live our life truthfully and believe in whatever God wants us to be, wants us to do. And he can turn our ordinary days to days of extraordinary strength and extraordinary work. I'll tell you guys get a story before I finish. I was uh, talking to uh, a beautiful monk, a beautiful story I like. Ali, when we're talking about the hermits and the life of the anchorites, and he told me, you won't believe it, Ibn. Ali, there's a, yani a father who lives in outside Egypt, a regular priest, a clergyman. He was telling this, I won't, I won't tell you from where, but he was telling this story to, the, to this monk. Ali, it's crazy. I was praying one night, the midnight prayer, and all of a sudden, I saw myself in a room with a, a non-Christian woman that I don't know. And she was praying to God, asking him for something, and all of a sudden she saw me. And I saw okay, God telling me to pray for her. And I prayed for her, and I went back to my room. Ali, this guy, this priest, is not, is not one of the hermits or anything like that. But this event happened with him. A normal night. He's just praying his midnight prayer. Transported to do the work of God and came in, came back. Our secret places are the, our source of strength. Nobody is going to be consumed with us except God. Nobody is going to be consumed with our accomplishment, with our voices, with our talks, with our prayers, with our love, except God. And He's the only one that's able to move 
our ordinary days to extraordinary and glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Let's get turn off the light and we'll pray together.